What are you living for? What are you really after in life? What do you prize most? This passage speaks to these sorts of questions. In this short section, we read an incident which occurred, an interaction between two brothers, Jacob and Esau. Esau, the firstborn, had naturally the birthright of the firstborn, which would include an extra portion of the inheritance and some authority within the family once the father passed away, some honor going along with it. Jacob is the younger brother who will just get a normal share. Esau comes in from the field and he is exhausted. This is not likely telling us merely that Esau had been out for the afternoon and had wandered a couple miles or was out in the hot sun and felt tired. This is likely telling us that he was out on a longer trip in search of game, perhaps a few days since he had had a good meal. He probably was in a bad condition. Perhaps he truly was in dire need of food. This is most likely the case. This is not simply just a little bit hungry. This is actually significantly hungry. How would you expect a brother to respond to a hungry brother? Jacob is mercenary in his dealings with Esau. Sell me your birthright now. Allow me to have the double share of our father's inheritance. And then maybe I'll give you some of this stew. As it was with his grandfather, just because Abraham did something in the biblical narrative doesn't mean that it's right. So it is here with Jacob. Just because he did something doesn't mean it's right. Some people think that the Bible is mainly a book of good people that we should try to be like. And if we can be enough like the good people that we read about in the Bible, then we'll be accepted by God as those people were. But when you look, all you have to do is attend the evening service for the next few months as we finish the book of Genesis, and you'll see that it finishes the way it began, with stories of people who are far from perfect, sinners saved by grace. As it was with Abraham, so it is here with Jacob. Just because Jacob did this doesn't mean that it's right. Jacob is mercenary in his dealings with his brother. This is a clear violation of the second greatest commandment. Jesus said the first is you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. 
The second is you should love your neighbor as yourself. If even a stranger showed up at your house, having not eaten for a few days in a real bad spot, the least you can do is give the man some lentil stew. Jacob is mercenary in his dealings with Esau. But we should bear in mind this, that Esau had options. Abraham was a wealthy man, and we read in earlier in the chapter, in the beginning of the chapter, verse 5 to be specific, Abraham gave all he had to Isaac. Which means that if Abraham was a wealthy man and gave all that he had to Isaac, Isaac was a wealthy man. So when Esau comes in from the field, even if he is in dire need of food, even if his brother is a mercenary looking for a birthright in exchange for some lentil stew, Esau had options. Presumably there was other food in Isaac's household. Especially to a starving man. Surely you could find something to sustain you that you might not die of starvation. But he he fixates his heart on what in the Hebrew language is the red, red. In verse 30 where it says in our translation, let me eat some of that red stew. That's a bad translation. The word translated as stew in verse 29 doesn't even appear in verse 30. What he says is, let me eat some of that Edom, Edom, which means red. Let me eat some of that red, red. It's so gruff. See, like he walks in and sees some red stuff on the stove and he says give me some of that red stuff or something like this he fixates his heart on the red red he doesn't even call it by what it is we know obviously from verse 34 that it's lentil stew he doesn't think rationally and say give me some of that lentil stew for it has the right nutrients to replenish me and reinvigorate me rather his eyes are leading him Give me some of that red, red. As Job says in Job chapter 31 and verse 7, Esau's heart has gone after his eyes. He won't accept alternatives. He won't maintain his birthright, which is of inestimably inestimably greater value than this red, red. Nor will Esau consider having alternative meals. He must have this which his eyes have laid hold upon. This red, red. And this is the point of comparison with sexual immorality and unholiness in general that the author of Hebrews draws out. Listen to this in chapter 12 of Hebrews, verses 15 to 17. See that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many 
become defiled. That no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. I don't think that the author of Hebrews is saying that this particular incident was an incident of sexual immorality. There's nothing sexual going on here. I'm not even convinced that he's saying that this is an instance of unholiness. I think that what the author of Hebrews is trying to draw out is that he's urging his readers not to pursue sexual immorality and not to pursue unholiness. That's what he's urging on his readers. And he says, I think what he's saying is because sexual immorality is like exchanging a birthright for some lentil stew. Don't be unholy in general. He starts with the specific sexual immorality and then moves to the general unholiness because unholiness is like exchanging a birthright for a pot of stew. So the point of comparison that the author of Hebrews is drawing between Esau's decision way back in Genesis chapter 25 and the decisions that lie before his readers is this. Some things are of inestimably greater value than other things. Some things are worth pursuing and hanging on to and some things are not. Don't be like Esau whose eyes, whose heart went after his eyes. Don't let your eyes lay hold of the red, red. And then feel like you must have it at any cost. And so exchange something of greater value for something of incomparably little value. The author of Hebrews uses this incident back in Genesis chapter 25 to illustrate his major point. That as he says in verse 15 of Hebrews chapter 12, we should seek to obtain the grace of God. That is what we should be seeking, to obtain the grace of God. We should seek to obtain the grace of God rather than prefer what amounts to a bowl of stew. That seems to be the main thing that the author of Hebrews does with this passage under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And so that's the main point that I will seek to drive home tonight based on this passage. We should seek to obtain the grace of God rather than preferring what amounts to a bowl of stew. First, 
as we consider this theme, we should know that there are pleasures associated with sin. God says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. Listen, there is pleasure in not loving God. There is pleasure in not loving your neighbor. God says, you shall have no other gods before me. There is pleasure in idolizing other things and other gods. In not revering His name. There is pleasure in reconceiving of God to be whoever we want Him to be. There is pleasure in breaking God's Sabbath day. There is pleasure in withholding from our parents the honor that we're due, uh, is due them according to the fifth commandment. There is pleasure in angry thoughts, in lustful thoughts, in stealing, in bearing false witness, in coveting. There is obviously some pleasure in sin. This is why our hearts go after it. This is why so many people in the world run from sin to sin to sin. Because it feels good at the time. There is some pleasure associated with sin. Even the Bible tells us that. Just a chapter back from where the author of Hebrews urges us not to be unholy. He says that Moses chose rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. The Bible says that sin is pleasurable. But the Bible says that the pleasures associated with sin are fleeting. Sin feels good at the moment. But the sorrows, the psalmist tells us, of those who run after other gods are multiplied. The scripture tells us that there is a way that seems right to a man. Why does it seem right to a man? Because it feels good and it makes sense to his carnal mind. It satisfies his unregenerate appetites. There is a way that seems right to a man. But in the end, it leads to death. There is pleasure associated with sin, but it is fleeting. In contrast, the path of discipleship, the path of biblical Christianity, is described in chapter 12 of Hebrews leading up to this injunction not to be like Esau. 
the path of biblical Christianity is described as being painful in the short term, but yielding fruit in the long term. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 11. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. As Alexander McLaren notes, there is a choice before us then between the present and the future. Between the fleeting pleasures of sin, short-term gain, but long-term pain, and the path of biblical discipleship, biblical Christianity, short-term pain. Whoever would come after me, Jesus said, let him take up his cross and deny himself daily and follow me. Short-term pain. Oh, but long-term gain. There is this choice before us between the fleeting pleasures of sin and the reward of a Godward life. Oh, don't be foolish like Esau, who traded his birthright for a pot of stew. Don't let your heart go after your eyes. Which leads to another aspect of that same decision. Alexander McLaren also notes that another way of describing the choice before us is the choice between the seen and the unseen. We should note that the pleasures of sin are often more tangible. Then the grace of God. As Esau preferred what he could taste, what could fill his stomach over his birthright, which was for the time being an intangible concept. So what? I'm, I'm in line to my father's estate. It's not tangible. There's the red, red right before me. So there's a choice before us between the seen and the unseen. Esau is set in contrast in Hebrews 12 with Moses, who in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 27 forsakes the pleasures of Egypt. Embraces the reproach of Christ and endures as seeing Him who is invisible. It is the ungodly 
The wicked whose God is their belly. They pursue what is tangible. Money, cars, clothes, houses, relationships, whether legitimate like marriage or illegitimate, just sexual trysts, what is tangible, what does it profit to have a sentence passed in heaven? That I am not counted guilty. Give me what's tangible. Give me what will fill my belly. Never mind what I'm in line for. Give me something now that I can taste, that I can touch, that I can feel. The ungodly are like Esau. Who again, whose hearts go after their eyes, whose God is their belly. And to them we seem fools who worship a God whom we've never seen. Who trust in a crucifixion that we were not eyewitnesses to. And hope that after they cover us with dirt, we will one day rise again. Even though none of us have ever seen a resurrection. And who argue and debate and stake our souls on ideas, concepts pulled from the pages of a book. Nah, give me some of that red stuff. Though the pleasures of sin are more immediate, it's the present versus the future. Though the pleasures of sin are often more tangible, they're they're seen to us as opposed to these unseen things like justification and adoption by God and so forth. These pleasures of sin amount to a bowl of stew compared to the grace of God that the author of Hebrews exhorts us to seek to obtain. Don't be like Esau. Don't be like Esau. In that moment, when Esau exchanged the birthright for that bowl of stew, who went hungry? It was Jacob, in that moment, who went hungry. But who ultimately was the loser in that exchange? It was Esau. It was Esau. Forsake the call of Christ. Forget justification. Forget adoption. Forget being conformed to the image of God's dear Son. Forget obedience to the commandments. Forget these things. Unmoor yourself 
untether yourself, pull up the anchor from this book and everything it teaches you. And chase what your eyes desire. And in the short term, and in the short term, it might look like you win. You might get some pleasure. But Esau's food went in one end and out the other. And a week after, a month after, a year after, a decade after, what did it profit Esau to gain a bowl of stew? Likewise, what will it profit you to gain the world and yet lose your soul? What will it profit you to live the life that so many envy? To climb that ladder, to chase that dream, and to get it all, to win it. What will it profit you to stack those bills, to buy that house? To buy that car. To have that woman or that man or those women or those men. What will it profit you to have everything but lose your soul? Even if you keep it. Until the day you die. And not everyone who gets it does. But even if you keep it until the day you die, you will open your eyes on the other side and lament your own foolishness. You'll see that you spent your life going after that red stuff. That your house couldn't cross death's threshold with you. Nor your lovers. Nor your bank account. And you will stand destitute of anything, of any value, before God. And you will remember this night when you were warned not to be like Esau who sold his birthright for a single day. Instead, embrace the short-term pain for the long-term gain. Embrace the cross that Jesus says everyone who will come after him must bear. There is a sense in which you will literally die 
should you choose to follow Christ Jesus. Old ways of thinking, dead. Old priorities, dead. Old value systems, dead. Old loves, dead. You may have to break off certain relationships. As you follow Christ, they find that there are those whom you once counted as dear to yourself who will not come with you. Self-esteem, dead. <laughs> no longer entertaining notions of yourself as a good person. You recognize that all your righteousness is as filthy rags. That God's not lucky to get you on His team. That you have nothing to bring. Hmm, that view of yourself, dead. Dead. In a very real way, you have to die to follow Christ Jesus. You become someone you were not before. New attitudes, new priorities, new value system, a new worldview, new ways of life, new relationships, a new view of yourself. Committed no longer to just filling your stomach, but committed that whatever it should cost, you will pay to live is Christ. Embrace that short term pain for long-term gain, whatever it might cost to obtain the grace of God rather than to trade it for what amounts to a bowl of stew. Embrace what is unseen over what is seen. Never mind those figures on your bank statement. Never mind the house you live in. Never mind whatever else it is that you can see and taste and touch and handle and feel. These things that you once lived for. Never mind those things. I'm not living for those things that are seen. I want the one of whom Paul writes, though we have not seen him, we love Him. Christ Jesus. I want these things invisible but so precious. My name written in the book of life. I've seen neither the pen nor the paper that wrote my name there. It's to me unseen. 
but so precious. I want to be justified. I want to have a sentence passed in heaven, in God's courtroom. That for Christ's sake, I am no longer counted as guilty, but acquitted, pardoned. I haven't witnessed those proceedings with my eyes, but oh, I want those unseen realities. I want God's Spirit dwelling in me. We've not seen Him. We've not seen Him. But the reality of the Holy Spirit in our lives so precious. Never mind what is seen. Embrace those things that are unseen. Those things described to us here. Don't let your heart go after your eyes. Let your heart go after your ears. As God speaks in His Word. As the Scriptures are read and preached. Let your heart go after your ears. Long for those things described in His Word. Oh, that these things described on the pages of Scripture would be mine by faith. Whatever it may cost me in the present, whatever seen things I have to let go of, oh, give me that future blessedness. Give me those unseen realities. Let me have a cross now. If it means there may be an empty tomb later. Give me a cross now. Let me be a pilgrim. Let me be an exile here. If it means that I will one day have a home in the new heavens and the new earth. Rather than embracing the things that are present but fleeting, Rather than embracing the things that are seen, but also fleeting. Trust in Christ Jesus, who for the sake of sinners lived and died and was raised. Trust in this message that the Bible gives us. That by works of the law, no one will be justified in His sight. You cannot work your way up to God. That's what that means in plain terms. You can never be good enough for God. Believe that. But believe this. That Jesus Christ came to save sinners. And He came to do that by living in our place. He was born, as we read this morning, under the law. In order to redeem those who are under the law. To fulfill the obligations that were placed upon us. For us. To obey the law for us. Trust in the fact that though 
God's justice demands that sinners be punished for their sin. Trust in what the Scripture says, that Jesus suffered the righteous for the unrighteous. Not only was His life a substitutionary representative life, but His death was a substitutionary representative death. Trust that. That when He hung there, He hung there for your sin. After living an obedient life in the place of your disobedient life. Trust in these realities. Trust then that what the Scripture says is true. That just as He was raised, so shall we be raised. Shift your confidence away from yourself onto Christ Jesus. And begin walking the path of discipleship. Begin walking the path of biblical Christianity. Embracing short-term pain for long-term gain. Forsaking those things which are seen in order to lay hold of the things that are unseen. Letting your heart go after your ears as you hear His Word rather than letting your heart go after your eyes. This is what biblical Christianity looks like. And this is what the author of Hebrews is pressing on us at the end, or in the middle, I guess, of chapter 12 as he refers to this incident with Jacob and Esau. He's telling us that there is a choice analogous to the choice that was before Esau. He's telling us that there is a birthright and there is a pot of stew. And He's telling us, don't be like Esau. Choose the grace of God to lay hold of that which is not fleeting. To lay hold of that which is unseen but of incomparable value. Rather than settling for those fleeting, temporary, though tangible pleasures of sin. The author of Hebrews warns us against putting off dealings with Christ until it's too late. When we will have no chance to repent, though we seek it with tears. Many have wrongly inferred that this is a warning about an event that may happen in your lifetime. That one day you'll want to come to Christ, but you won't be able to. That's not correct. If only for the statement of Jesus who said, whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. There's no one who in this life seeks to come to Christ and finds themselves turned away. There is a day that will be too late, however. And this is the point that the author of Hebrews is making. It's just simply that there will be a time that's too late. 
just as there was a time for Esau when it was too late. Again, you'll remember, he's not saying that all the points of the story of Jacob and Esau are exactly the same as all the points of the choice before us. But there is a choice before us. And if we make the wrong one, there is a time when one day it will be too late to reverse it. And according to the scripture, the day that it will be too late to reverse it is the day they put you in the ground. Until then, if you've been chasing a bowl of stew, so to speak, and realize that in Christ Jesus there is something of incomparably greater value, go to Him now, and He will have you. Run home to the Father and you will find Him ready to accept you. Call out to God as Esau will call out to his father Isaac in Genesis chapter 27. Bless me, even me also, my Father. Then you will find Him, God, unlike Isaac in chapter 27, which we'll come to. Cry out to God, bless me, even me also, O my Father. And you will find God, unlike Isaac, both ready and able to bless. So believer, if you are pursuing those things that are unseen, seeing Him who is invisible and enduring, press on. If you are taking hold of that which is truly life, press on. If you are picking up your cross and denying yourself daily to follow Jesus, press on. If you're not yet trusting in Christ, not yet walking that biblical path, that path of biblical Christianity, if you're not yet trusting in Jesus, not yet denying yourself daily in order to follow Him, if you're still chasing those things that are seen and still chasing the fleeting pleasures of sin, change course. Even now, God stands ready and willing to accept you. Don't be unholy in the way that Esau traded something of incomparably greater value for something of little value. Don't pursue things of lesser value. Seek to obtain the grace of God.